0: Taylor Kane is a 23-year-old carrier of the x linked disease ALD. Her father, Jack, was diagnosed with ALD when she was just three years old. Jack's condition quickly deteriorated, and he was completely bedridden for many months, unable to talk, walk, or swallow, or understand much of what was going on around him. Very sadly, Jack died when Taylor was just five years old. Taylor became an advocate for ALD families at a very young age, helping to raise over $200,000 for ALD research. When she was in high school, she lobbied the Senate and Assembly in her home state of New Jersey to introduce and pass a bill requiring the screening of newborns for ALD. She subsequently testified before both houses in support of the bill and petitioned the governor to sign the bill into law, which he did in 2013. Taylor went on to found an organization called Remember the Girls, After learning that more than 50% of female ALD carriers go on to develop physical symptoms, sometimes severe ones, and that many other carriers of X-linked disorders are similarly affected. She soon realized that these female carriers, as a group, are often overlooked by the medical community, omitted from clinical trials, and have little peer or other support. Taylor is here to share with us more about her ongoing mission with Remember the Girls and all the good she is doing to advocate for a cause and a community that is so personal to her. Let's take a listen. Okay, so I have with me here today, Taylor. How are you, Taylor? I'm good, Christy. I'm so glad to be here today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And I'm really happy to have you here to share more with us about The amazing work that you're doing. So first, can you tell us what ALD is and how you were personally affected by this disorder at a very young age?
1: Yes, of course. ALD stands for Adrenoleukodystrophy, and it is a rare genetic disease uh, that affects usually boys between the ages of five and ten, but also males and Females later in life. Um, My dad was diagnosed with ALD when I was three years old in 2001. Um, And over the next two years, he lost the ability to walk, talk, swallow. Um, He developed early onset dementia and ALD still has really no treatment or cure. Um, So my dad passed away in 2003 when I was five years old from the
0: disease. I'm so sorry for your loss. And I was reading your story. I was so struck by how young you were when you started advocating for this cause and the incredible moves you were able to make in terms of petitioning and gaining support. So can you tell us more about those initial advocacy efforts and how that played out for you in your adolescence and in your high school years?
1: For sure. So before my dad, before my dad's disease progressed, um, he and my mom started a nonprofit organization called run for ALD to raise money for ALD research. And after my dad passed away, my family and family friends continue that organization. Um, So by the time that I was in about fourth grade is When I started taking a little bit more of an active role, um, I went around to all the classes in my elementary school and told them about our local 5K run that was happening just a few weeks away. Um, And a handful of people from my school and teachers showed up. So I think that for me, that was kind of the first tangible experience I had, I guess, of advocacy. Of course, at the time, I, I had no idea what advocacy was or anything like that, but I think it was really good feeling to see that you could tell people about your story and then they would actually take action. So that definitely inspired me to get more involved and wanting to raise awareness of ALD and also money for research and eventually for a cure. Um, I would say my advocacy became even stronger when I was in about eighth grade, um, an ALD newborn screening test was developed. Um, And for those who don't know, uh, newborn screening is done in every hospital to every baby born across the U.S. and also in other countries. But every state has a different newborn screening panel and different diseases that they screen for. Um, And most of the conditions screened for are metabolic diseases that um, they can test the blood and they're able to see if certain levels of something is raised in the blood. So the first tier is not like a genetic test; it's basically a blood test, um, and they're able to see if there's certain levels that are raised to indicate a certain condition. So a test was developed for ALD, which is a metabolic condition, and this was really important because if ALD is detected early enough, um, before symptoms develop, then People who are affected by the condition can get a bone marrow or a stem cell transplant. And while I don't necessarily consider this a treatment, um, it definitely is the first line of defense for ALD. Unfortunately for my dad, he was diagnosed uh, much too late um, for a bone marrow or stem cell transplant. Um, his brain was already severely affected by the time he was diagnosed, but um. After I learned that this test was developed, I wrote to my state, state senator in New Jersey and asked him if he could introduce a bill um, adding newborn sc- ALD to, to the newborn screening panel in New Jersey, which he did. Um, and that bill was passed into law in 2013. Um, around the same time, I was also working with some other ALD advocates and my mom was involved as well. Um, we were advocating for ALD to be added to the RUSP or the Recommended Uniform Screening Panel. Um, as I mentioned, newborn screening is a state-by-state state issue, but the federal government does have the RUSP, which is basically the newborn screening test that it recommends. So the federal government tries to help ease the states because deciding to add a new test usually, you know, it takes time to research, um, and the federal government with the RUSP is basically like, here are the texts that you should add. So unfortunately, the first time um, we testified, our efforts were unsuccessful, but then New Jersey was eventually added to the RUSP a few years later. Um, But this is kind of how I got more involved in legislative advocacy and, and my adolescence. And even at the time, I don't think I even really realized it was advocacy. I think it just felt so natural to me to you know, want to do something to honor my dad, but also make a difference for the ALD community as a whole. Like, I think seeing firsthand, you know, my dad going from an amazing, fun-loving man to someone who was completely bedridden and couldn't communicate, couldn't eat, eat a feeding tube. I, I saw that firsthand with my eyes. And I think that that experience just really shaped me into the person that I eventually became. Um, And, you know, it's unfortunate, of course, the way that trauma at a young age, you know, does change the course of your life. But I guess if I find one silver lining in it, it's that it just definitely
0: has made me an advocate
1: through and through.
0: It's incredible that you were inspired to do so much so young. Uh, you know, I think, like you said, it, may, it makes total sense that to see that and be moved by it and have such a personal reason, uh, it totally makes sense that you would go the lane of advocacy, but it's really quite incredible that you did that so young and that you were able to make such significant um, changes in your state and you know also then at a federal level. That's just amazing. So can you tell us more about um, when it was that you learned that you were a carrier of this gene yourself? And what did that information mean for you going forward from that point?
1: ALD is an X linked disease, which means that it's carried on the X chromosome. Um, Biological females have two X chromosomes, and biological males typically have an X chromosome and a Y chromosome. So, an X linked disease in a male um, will usually be pretty severe, and an X linked disease. and a female, since we have another X chromosome, we are traditionally thought to be just carriers of the condition, which I'll talk a little bit more about later, why that's really not true. Um, But at the time my dad was diagnosed, um, we found out that very same day that I was a carrier, because any male with an X-linked disease will pass that disease to all of his daughters, because males always pass their one X chromosome to their daughter. Um, So yeah, that day we knew that I was a carrier, we knew that my brother would not be affected since a father gives his X chromosome to his son. Um, Of course, at the time of my dad's diagnosis, we were really focusing on my dad, and um, I was, of course, really young at the time, so I'm more speaking of what I've heard from my mom, but my family was basically assured that I was just a carrier and that nothing would happen to me health wise. And that this just meant that I had a 50% chance of eventually passing ALD down to my future children. Um, And that is kind of what I continued to be told over the years as I grew up that I was just a carrier. And, you know, I definitely, I guess, felt lucky in a way knowing that I wasn't going to suffer the same fate as my dad, but I also knew that I would have to make really difficult decisions when it came to eventually having children. Um, Fortunately, you know, from a young age, my mom was very open with me about my carrier status. I can't remember a time in my life where I didn't know that I was a carrier. So I've just always grown up with this information. Like, you know, it's just another thing about me, just as I have, you know, green eyes. It's just another part of me. Um, so I never found the information to be shocking or to be overly, overly sad, I guess. Like, I think since I knew from so young, I just grew up with this knowledge and I don't think it affected my childhood or anything like that in a negative way. Um, and yeah, um, So I also always knew that when I eventually did go on to having children, that there were options for me that if I wanted to pursue them, that I could make sure that I had children that were free of ALD. So I think knowing that information made me a lot less scared for the future. Um, It really wasn't until high school when I started learning that our traditional notions of being a carrier were just not really true. And that many women with ALD did eventually experience symptoms um, that I guess things did start to get a little bit more stressful. Um, But I feel like knowledge is power. And so I'm really glad that I knew this information for as long as I can remember.
0: Yeah. Hearing you explain that, you know, obviously it's super unfortunate that you had to even learn about the disease so young, right. And that you had to have such a significant loss because of it but exactly what you said, knowledge is power. And in many ways, I'm sure it's been beneficial to know all of this. Uh, But can you tell us more about these the female carriers and what you've since learned um, about how they're treated in terms of care and support and how that inspired you to create Remember the Girls?
1: Definitely. So In the U.S., um, ALD is a rare disease. It's a rare disease worldwide. But in the U.S., about one in every 21,000 males um, is thought to be affected by ALD. And about one in every 16,800 females are thought to be carriers of ALD. Um, I'm going to use the word carrier still just for ease of use and understanding. But in the ALD community, we actually don't really use the term carrier anymore. We call women with the gene typically just women with ALD. Um, I think that the reason that I'm maybe a little bit more comfortable with using the term carrier is just because I'm 23 years old and I I don't believe that I have symptoms yet. Um, but in women with ALD, symptoms are really closely related to age. So they typically don't start until 30s or 40s. Um, so I think that's why I am maybe a little bit more comfortable and don't see myself necessarily as a patient just since I don't suffer with symptoms on a day-to-day basis. But as I mentioned, growing up I was always told that, you know, carriers were just affected and I was just a carrier. And in high school it just became clear to me very quickly, mostly by attending ALD Connect conferences, which is our main patient organization that women had symptoms. I could look around me and see that there was women using canes, using walkers, using wheelchairs, and it felt kind of like the elephant in the room. Um, and I do remember meeting with a specialist also around that time who was actually one of my dad's doctors and he, I remember him mentioning something about symptoms in women. And it was along the lines of like, some women will get mild symptoms basically. So back then it was starting to become more common knowledge in the ALD community that women could have symptoms, but it was seen as rare and it was seen as symptoms being mild. And I think that the term mild itself can be quite confusing because I think when you're comparing, you know, women's symptoms, which are walking difficulties, neuropathy, bladder and bowel dysfunction, um, really similar symptoms to, um Adrenomyeloneuropathy, which is basically the later onset form of ALD, which in males, adrenomyeloneuropathy can eventually progress to cerebral ALD, and in women that doesn't happen. But the physical spinal cord symptoms are quite similar. But I think when you're comparing, you know, these symptoms in women to the full fatal version of the disease, that they do seem mild in comparison. But I also think that term can can be difficult because I think being in a wheelchair and not being able to walk is not a mild symptom. So I think the terminology was just still really downplaying the experiences that women were having and about a decade has passed since then. Um, And in the ALD community, a good amount has changed. Um, You know, women in my community have really demanded to be heard and to not be treated as just carriers and Recent research does show that about 90% of women with ALD do experience symptoms. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, we're still facing this long tradition of being just carriers. And it's not only ALD, but so many X-linked diseases where women were seen as being just carriers. Um, And for that reason, you know, they were not researched. They were excluded from clinical trials so that's definitely something that we're still facing. And I do think that this is quite concerning, especially when it comes to the lack of involvement in research. Um, there are some drugs in the pipeline right now for adrenomine neuropathy or AMN, and they are only being tested in males. However, our doctors have said that maybe if these drugs get approved, they could be accessed by women who have symptoms of ALD. But you know, we know that diseases and drugs can affect the biological male body and biological female body very differently. So the fact that, you know, n- no females with ALD are being studied, but we would still be t- prescribed the drug is, it really scares me. Like, it feels like, because of our exclusion and research, that we're going to just have to kind of be <laughs> real world evidence, but like, not in a good way, like, we're going to have to kind of be taking like this medication, if we can even get access to it, which that's a whole nother question, because if the drug was studied in men, then they might not even want women to access it. But if we do, I think that I don't think that that's safe. Um, You know, I think that it needs to be studied in the female body. Um, But nonetheless, things have improved in the ALD community. But as I mentioned, ALD doesn't even have any treatment, you know, even for the most severe version, the fatal version. So obviously, that is the priority when it comes to research. But I don't think that we need to leave the women out of the equation.
0: Yeah, that it really makes sense. And it's especially coming from such a personal space, I'm sure it's hard to ignore all of these facts that you're stumbling upon about the reality for women. Who have ALD or who are considered carriers. So, remember the girls is your organization that you started. And the mission is to raise awareness of the many issues female carriers of X linked genetic disorders face, um, to provide a forum for X linked females to share their stories, ask questions, provide and receive emotional support, and develop friendships, to advocate for increased attention of the medical community to the physical and emotional issues of females who carry X linked disorders and to provide financial support to carriers of x link disorders for medical treatment and diagnosis. So can you tell us how you're working to carry out those objectives?
1: Yes, of course. As I mentioned, um, ALD is just one of the many X-linked diseases. There are actually a few hundred X-linked genetic diseases that have been described, um, about 500. And for a long time, um, women who had X-linked diseases were considered carriers and were considered unaffected. Um, some of the diseases that listeners might've heard of, um, a good example is hemophilia, hemophilia A and B. Um, that is an X-linked disease and girls and women in that community have had to fight for so long to get past the stigma of being considered just a carrier and. Just show, you know, their specialists, doctors that they were clearly having symptoms and they needed access to treatment. Um, so in high school, when I discovered that ALD was just one of the many excellent diseases where women in our community were facing these issues related to being considered just a carrier, I felt really compelled to start an organization and just bring these women together. Like it really just clicked in my mind. Um, Over the past five years, remember, the girl's biggest success as an organization has really been the creation of our group itself. Um, We do have a private support group, which has about 1,400 carriers um, from over 30 different X-linked diseases in 30 different countries in the world. Um, And I think the beauty of our group is that when women join our group, you know, they're coming from their specific disease community and they might not even realize that there's these all these other excellent diseases where women are, are facing these same exact battles, you know, the battles to be not just seen as carriers, the battles to have their symptoms taken seriously, to be included in research, in clinical trials, to access affordable reproductive options. I think it's like a mini light bulb moment for everyone who joins our group when they realize like, wow, this issue is so much bigger than I thought it was, um, In addition to that, um, some of the other ways that we work to carry out our objectives are creating tools, uh, resources. Um, We held a webinar series last year where we held um, a webinar each month, um, really profiling 12 different and important issues in the carrier community. So one of them, for example, was why are some carriers symptomatic while others are not? And we had um, a specialist talk about Different biological processes in the body, like X inactivation, that could lead to reasons why carriers may have symptoms and others don't. Um, some other ones are about access to genetic testing, um, guilt that carriers often feel, especially when they've passed the condition down to a child, and things of that nature. Um, one of my favorite projects that we are working on now is our family planning toolkit. Um, any woman who has an X linked disease has a 50% chance of passing that condition down to her children. Um, so it's incredibly important for all people, um, all women with X linked diseases, to know their risk and know what their options are, whether that be having a child naturally um, or doing al- an alternative reproductive method like in vitro fertilization with pre implantation genetic testing or IVF with PGT. Um, <clears throat> I found that these resources are kind of scattered all throughout the internet, um, and there hasn't been one that's geared towards excellent carriers. So we are creating basically a one-stop shop for learning about your different options. So we're having women from our group um, on video talking about their experiences going through these different options and also having genetic counselors um, create about five to 10-minute explainer videos, um, kind of what you would... Learn if you were in a session with a genetic counselor. Um, and then we're also going to be providing written resources, resources on how to figure out if your insurance covers these options and if not, um, funds that you can apply for. Um, unfortunately, a lot of scholarship and grant funds for IVF do exclude women who are doing it for genetic reasons. Um, usually they only go to couples who have infertility. Um, so there aren't a lot of you know, grant or financial help for carriers, but, um, we will be trying to include as much information as we can and also helping carriers, um, figure out how to best find a genetic counselor, you know, in their area and one that's covered by insurance. So, um, that's a project that I spend most of my time working on and the one that, um, I'm definitely very excited for. Um, you know, I think in, in today's age, this information is getting more and more difficult to find, especially when the information may differ based on where you live in the country. You know, with different laws and regulations. So, I think that a project like this is more more important than ever um, to really help you know women with X-linked diseases and carriers understand what options are out
0: there for them. Absolutely, and you're offering them such a invaluable set of resources that, just like you said, if they're coming from other X-linked disorders uh, or or support groups even, um, and not really having their needs met necessarily and having somebody that totally understands their exact same struggles, um, especially from the pe- female perspective. Uh, it's really fascinating what you're doing and inspiring. So you also wrote a memoir called Rare Like Us. Can you tell us more about the journey to create that book and what your greatest hope or intention was or is in sharing your story in that way?
1: I've always been a writer. Um, One of the first types of advocacy I did was actually when I was in fifth grade. And I wrote an article, a story about my dad's journey with ALD with the help of my fifth grade teacher and sent it to a local magazine where it was published. Um, So, yeah, I've just, I've always enjoyed writing and storytelling in that way. So I think I knew that I always wanted to write a memoir and write a book about you know, my family story with genetic disease. Um, Of course, I couldn't go into all the details here and just talked about my dad. But um, even though my dad was really the first person in his family to be diagnosed, ALD is all over my dad's side of the family. We know now, um, like many, you know, genetic diseases are, they really, you know, spread through entire sides of families. So Um, I really wanted to write about how my family was plagued by this disease and also really memorialize my dad. Um, So the first half of the book is written from my mom's perspective, and I had to do a lot of research going through old files, old notes, my doctor's or my dad's notes from doctors. And of course, you know, interviewing my mom many times, um, trying to get a better picture of what those years were like, just because, as I mentioned, when my dad was diagnosed, I was three. And when he passed away, I was five. So I don't have that many memories from that time. Um, So the first half of the book is written from my mom's perspective. And the second half of the book is written from my perspective. And the second half really focuses on my life after losing my dad and Um, you know, the challenges that I faced, um, having started developing, you know, anxiety and panic attacks when my dad was sick and developing separation anxiety from my mom and being incredibly scared whenever she left the house. Um, And I think that a lot of people get childhood grief very wrong. I've been told so many times that I'm lucky that my dad passed away when I was young as opposed to when I was older. Um, and I understand where those comments come from. I do, but at the same time, I think that losing a parent when you're a child and before you really got to know them, is a whole different type of grief. Like I think the not knowing is what makes it so hard. Um, you know, I don't really have many memories of my dad. And I think that people really discount childhood grief, because they think, oh, you you don't really remember it. So why does it really matter? Um, So that's also something that I wanted to show through this book as well. Um, And definitely was a long process writing this book. Um, It took me about three to four years, just because I was writing it while I was in college. um, And I was trying to figure out, learn how to publish a book and and do self-publishing. So I did publish the book in 2019. And if I had to choose what my one greatest hope was, I think that it would just be to help people who have had a similar experience feel less alone. Um, You don't need to have a rare disease or you know, have lost a parent or anything like that, I think, to get something out of this book. Um, based on the reviews that I've gotten from people I know and people I don't know, um, I think that my intentions of the book were able to shine through. And while, of course, there are many sad moments in the book, um, I did definitely try to incorporate some humor in the book. Um, as I said, my dad had, Early onset dementia, and so he acted very strangely at times. Um, And even though you know it's sad thinking that that was cause of his disease, we also have some good memories as a family um, because of those things. So I don't think that things like that should just be glossed over. Um, So that really was my intention to just make people feel less alone, and I really hope that that is what the book achieved.
0: There is so much power in sharing our stories, I believe, uh, that I think it's so amazing and inspiring that you were able to, you know, just put that much time and effort into it too. Like you said, having to go back and do the research and really put yourself through it all again also, right? And, And go back there is tough, but to spring that forward in hopes that it helps somebody else is really powerful. And just in listening to everything you've told us so far, I can't, I can only imagine how much your dad is like beaming from above with pride of all that you've, all that you've accomplished so far. And you're only in your twenties. It's, it's amazing. And so we should also, we should also mention that you have a podcast as well called remember the girls podcast. So uh, tell us a little bit about that and how that helps to support the X-Link female community. Of course.
1: So the Remember the Girls podcast is mostly run by Remember the Girls amazing president, Emma. But every month in our group, we do focus on a different X-linked disease. And we interview women who have that X-linked disease, um, either talking about, you know, their experiences, having a child with a condition, having symptoms themselves, um, basically whatever they want to share. So The bulk of the Remember the Girls podcast does consist of stories of women with different X-link disorders, but we have a lot of big plans for it to invite um, a variety of guests so we can really expand the audience. Um, Our primary audience, of course, of everything we do is women carriers impacted by X-link disorders, but we also know that the medical community has a lot of relearning to do when it comes to women with X-link conditions, so we're really hoping to make that our secondary audience.
0: That's awesome. And we talk a lot about community on this podcast. So I I know it's clear that it's, uh, that's something that's important to you and uh, a major intention in the work that you do is creating community for, um, you know, all the the female carriers or anyone, you know, associated. So what is your own definition of compassion and community and how important or necessary do you think they are um, regarding the work that you advocate for?
1: That's a great question. To me, compassion means doing something let me think doing something that is bigger than yourself. Um, my advocacy started because of my dad because I wanted to honor my dad. and also my carrier advocacy started because I wanted to live in a future where I would have treatment um, for symptoms that I experienced. So, a lot of that did start because of my personal experiences and my family experiences. It has grown into something, you know, so much bigger. And I think you quickly realize that while you may become passionate about an issue because it affects you, you know, when you work to make a change and that you're able to change other people's lives, even in small ways, that that is, you know, the most important impact. Um, I think day to day when I'm doing my advocacy work, I rarely think about myself, which I think can, can be challenging sometimes, um, in the ways that, you know, once in a while I do flash back to reality and think like, whoa, like this is really my life. Like sometimes I do feel like that these things I've been through haven't happened to me. So I think that it it is important to remember why you started. And the reason I started, you know, of course, is because of my dad. Um, But that compassion just means caring about something bigger than yourself. Um, And for me, that's the ALD community. That's the X-Linked Carrier community and the rare disease community as a whole.
0: Yeah. And you're doing incredible work to support that community, obviously from such a passion-driven place. So, how lastly, can you tell us, how can we best follow along with you and your work? Um, where can we purchase the memoir and where can we go to make donations to support your ongoing work?
1: Great. So to follow along with me and my work, um, I'm really active on social media when it comes to my rare disease advocacy. Um, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Her, um, similar to the title of my book, Rare Like Us. Um, if you want to find my book, um, it is available on Amazon and sometimes other booksellers as well. Um, if you go to my website, uh, taylorkane.com, you can find a link where you can purchase the memoir. Um, and to make donations to Remember the Girls, which we would be so grateful for, um, and to learn more about our work and our mission, um, you can go to our website at rememberthegirls.org.
0: Perfect. And I will be sure to add. Um, in the show notes, links to everything you just mentioned so that everyone can very easily find it uh, and support all the incredible work you're doing. And I can't wait to read your book myself. Uh, I just am really inspired by everything that you do and uh, can't wait to see what you do going forward too, since you've already accomplished so much. It's amazing. But thank you so much for being here and taking the time to share your story with Be The Good Listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Christy. I'm really grateful to be a guest on this incredible podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Good Podcast. Please like, comment, and share, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Be The Good Podcast. And remember, we can all find our own way to be the good.